Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part for the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. And, of course, he's in Tel Aviv right now, so he can give us a first-hand attack of what's happened with Hamas attack and other things going on around the world. We'll also visit with John Mildemore. He is the editor-at-large for Fee.org, the website for the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several murder mysteries. We'll visit with Jim as well. It is October the 9th, and on this day in 1635, religious dissident Roger Williams was banished to Massachusetts Bay Colony by the General Court of Massachusetts. He was banished from Massachusetts. He had uh, spoken out against the right of civil authorities to punish religious dissension and to confiscate Native American land. After leaving Massachusetts, Williams was the assistance of the uh, Narragansett tribe, established a settlement at the junction of two rivers near Narragansett Bay, located in present-day Rhode Island. He declared the settlement open to all those seeking freedom of conscience and the removal of the church from civil matters, and many dissatisfied Puritans came. Taking the success of the venture as a sign from God, Williams named the community Providence. Although those who uh, found a haven in the religious and political refuge at Rhode Island Colony were Anne Hutchinson, like uh, Williams, she had been exiled from Massachusetts for religious reasons, some of the first Jews to settle in North America and Quakers. In Providence, Roger Williams also founded the first Baptist church in America and entitled the first dictionary of Native American languages. Uh, Roger Williams, one of my culture heroes, actually. I went to Brown University in Providence and uh, therefore found out a lot about him. Also, today is Columbus Day, and if you're kind of woke, it's also Indigenous Peoples Day as well. The ruling Hamas militant group in the Gaza Strip carried out an unprecedented multi-front attack on Israel at daybreak Saturday, firing thousands of rockets as dozens of Hamas fighters infiltrated the heavily fortified border in several locations by air land and sea and catching the country off guard on a major holiday. Hundreds of people were dead and thousands more injured in Israel and the Gaza Strip after the Palestinian militant group Hamas launched a surprise raid in the Israel into Israel over the weekend. Reports suggested at least 700 Israelis have been killed, many of whom were civilians, while more than 400 Palestinians have died. Almost 5,000 people have been injured across both sides. The attack came one day after the 50th anniversary of the Fourth Arab-Israeli War. Fighting began early Saturday, with Hamas launching thousands of rockets at cities across Israel, demolishing parts of a border fence, and infiltrating nine towns in southern Israel. Hamas fighters reportedly targeted both military sites and civilians, including opening fire on a late-night dance party near the Israeli-Gaza border that left at least 260 dead. Unbelievable. Officials say that as many as 130 Israeli civilians and soldiers have been taken hostage by militants, with some taken back to Gaza 
Israel contracted uh, Egypt to assist them in return. Their status is currently unknown as of this writing. The Gaza Strip is nearly a 140-square-mile area, home to roughly 2 million people, with borders uh, are controlled largely by Israel, uh, tightly restricted the flows of goods and people in and out of uh, the country, Hamas, both militant group and political party, with the uh, stated goal of destroying Israel, has run Gaza internally since 2007. By yesterday afternoon, the U.S. has deployed a carrier strike uh, group in the Mediterranean to support of Israel. Horrifying new footage emerged uh, this afternoon showing Women being marched into vehicles full of male fighters, bloodied and bruised, often with their hands bound behind their backs, in many cases with no clothes on. Earlier pictures showed Israeli pensioners captured in Israel and taken into the Gaza Strip on golf carts. Other clips showed entire families forced into trucks and being driven off by militants. Yesterday, Israel suffered its deadliest attack in decades as Hamas rampaged through the country's town reportedly killing 700 people and abducting dozens more. We are at war, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said in a televised address, declaring a mass mobilization of the army's uh, reserves. Not not an operation, not a round, but a war, uh, said uh, Netanyahu. President Joe Biden's decision to reward uh, Iran with $6 billion in unfrozen assets is coming under withering criticism after Tehran-backed Hamas uh, militants unleashed a provoked, unprovoked, deadly attack on Israel that uh, generated condemnation worldwide. The political peril for the 46th president, who has uh, banked his foreign, foreign policy in part on the effort to woo Iran into a nuclear deal, was apparent from the campaign trail to the marble halls of the Congress within hours of Saturday's unprovoked and unprecedented attack on Israel. The Biden administration has brought nothing but chaos and destruction because of their weakness and incompetence, that according to Elise Stefanik, the conference chair at GOP. Uh, In Iowa, multiple uh, Republican presidential candidates took time from busy campaign stops to blame Biden and his policies for the Iran-backed Hamas attacks. Four years ago, we had the Abraham's Accords, and today we have Israel being attacked. The only difference is, I believe, that the difference between one president and another president, former President Donald Trump said, in the podium in in, uh, Des Moines, Iowa, the military-style terrorist attack Saturday on Israeli civilians came less than a month then uh, after Trump warned that Biden's release of $6 billion in frozen funds to Iran as part of the hostage swap would unleash new terror attacks in the Middle East. And boy, was he right. Conservative pundits were quick to point out Trump's prediction had come true. A month ago, Trump predicted the $6 billion that Biden gave Iran would be used for terror attacks across the Middle East and uh, specifically kidnapping uh, according to Jack Posobiec, conservative TV host, this is exactly what we're seeing in Israel this morning. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who served in the military, called on Americans to unite behind Israel while blaming Biden for his appeasement to Iran. Iran has helped uh, fund this war against the Israel, and uh, Joe Biden's policies have gone easy on Iran, has helped to f- uh, fill their coffers. Israel is now paying the price for those policies, DeSantis said. Democrats also felt compelled to throw their support behind Israel, dancing cheerfully, carefully around their president's prior decision to engage Iran. uh, Israeli citizens are experiencing unspeakable horror as Hamas terrorists launch attacks across the country, said former House Judiciary uh, Chairman Gerald Nadler. 
Israel has a right to defend itself against such wickedness and violence. I stand with Israel, said Nadler. So uh, this is just incredible. Apparently, they actually had hand gliders and uh, members of Hamas flying in uh, to uh, capture people during this party that was being held in Israel. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said Sunday that the Biden administration is working overtime, whatever that means, to verify support of uh, Americans killed or hostages taken in Hamas in the attack. <clears throat> we already we know that at least four Americans have been killed. We have reports that several Americans were killed, Blinken said on CNN. We're working overtime to verify that. At the time, we are uh, uh, there are reports of missing Americans, and there again, we are working to verify these reports, said Blinken. The death toll in the, in the attack in Israel's response was, as of Sunday, about 300, but the total was projected to reach 500. Well, it's now over 1,000. Netanyahu says, Mighty Revenge orders massive attack against uh, Gaza, against uh, Hamas, and uh, in, in the Hamas raid. President Biden said that he spoke with Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and conveyed that the United States stands with the people of Israel in the face of these terrorist assaults. I don't know uh, what Netanyahu may have said in response, and he's probably asking why he gave $6 billion to Iran. Well, roughly 2,400 people have died and many more are trapped in western Afghanistan after a pair of 6.3 magnitude earthquakes rocked Asia's poorest nation on Sunday. The city of Herat, uh, the nation's third largest with over 600,000 residents, was the worst affected with the quake epicenter just 25 miles northeast of the provincial cap hub. Uh, the Taliban-led nation has seen both government revenues and humanitarian aid dry up in the last two years since the Islamist group's swift takeover on the heels of the United States exit, crippling its already weak economy and exacerbating its ability to respond to disasters. The United Nations estimates nearly half of its 39 million citizens face severe hunger. That's severe hunger. That's sad. The deadly event uh, follows last June's 5.9 uh, magnitude on quake, which uh, saw over a thousand killed. The region sits at the intersection of three tectonic plates, Indian, Eurasian, and Ar Arabian, and it's part of the Alpine Belt, the world's second most seismically active fault. So our thoughts and prayers are with the folks in Afghanistan. So sad. Well, President uh, Joe Biden blamed the media for America's discontent with its handling of the economy while fielding press questions on the September jobs report. You're not the happiest people about uh, what you report. You get more legs when you report something negative, Biden said. I think Americans know that they're better off financially than they were before. It's a fact he concluded—I <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face. What a doofus. Uh, he concluded before going on to make a strange point about throwing a dog in a lake which nobody could understand. Recent polling on the economy has been abysmal for the 80-year-old Democrat who is ostensibly seeking re-election in 2024. Two weeks ago, a Washington Post-ABC News poll found that just 30% of Americans approve of the Biden economy. For the first time in 32 years, Republicans lead Democrats 53 to 39% on the question of who would handle the economy better. A late September Marquette law poll showed 52% of voters think President, uh, former President Donald Trump would handle the economy better. Only 28% said Biden would handle it well. 
despite the Biden White House repeatedly claiming Americans are better off financially now than ever before, mounting evidence suggests unease about the state of the economy is justified. Under Biden, nearly two-thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Home mortgage rates have soared at the highest levels in 23 years. In August, credit rating agency Fitch downgraded its AAA U.S. government debt rating to AA+. Biden's decision to center his campaign on the success of Bidenomics increasingly looks like a, bun- a blunder. Well, no question about that. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, helping prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the state legislatures. And you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, thefga.org. 
Coming up, we're going to visit with John Millamore, the editor-at-large for Fee.org. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a terrific multimedia website, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. He's also located in Tel Aviv and certainly is, has a first-hand report for us on what's going on. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So the Hamas attack, surprise attack, uh, this is just a horrific awful uh, thing that's uh, going on. Maybe you could tell us about it. Absolutely. It's really is horrific from every standpoint. Um, it started Saturday morning. First, it started with a series of missile attacks. I was actually gotten up early and was taking a short walk at 6.15 in the morning, and suddenly I heard two booms, which I didn't pay that much attention to until a, few, until a minute later I started hearing sirens in the distance. And what that meant was that not exactly where I was, but somewhere in another part of Tel Aviv, uh, there was an air raid siren going off, and the two booms I had heard were the um, firing of the Iron Dome system. Um, but it was complete, complete and total surprise. And it turned out, over the course of the morning, there were 2,000 rockets fired at Israel. A few of them got through. Uh, most of them were intercepted. Um, but that was really not the real story. The main story was the fact that uh, Hamas fighters managed to breached the border wall, which is really just a series of, uh, when you think about a wall, you think of big concrete barriers, etc. You know what it is, is just, just a series of um, fences. Underground is actually a big wall because trying to, to stop tunnels, but they were able to usually just take a bulldozer and just open the, open the wall with the bulldozer. Huh. They managed immediately to shoot the cameras in the various places and then killed all of the women, mostly the women in this job, who were... Um, watching the cameras, in other words, the, the personnel who's watching the cameras to see if anyone was was crossing the border, and they immediately swarmed in. Um, they attacked 22 different uh, settlements along the along the border area, and they randomly killed men, women, and children. Um, and there was also not far from the border there was a music festival taking place right one of these all night all all night new music festivals in, in in you know sort of like in the field so to speak or in the desert right um there were probably a couple of thousand people at, at that festival um the people started running for their lives obviously and hamas gunned down 260 of them awesome. from all over the world just gunned them down um and so all together at the moment uh, we know of 700 um, people who were killed during that initial assault. The guess is that number will go to a, to a thousand or so when all the bodies are found. Um, and then for the last two days, the, the um, army has been involved in retaking uh, control of, of that area, the various kibbutzim and, and other settlements in that area. Um, they've sent a huge number of troops down to the area. At this point, about an hour ago, the Army spokesman announced that the area is secure, that the border fence, which was broken in 22 places, there's now a tank basically sitting in every place that um, that there was a border uh, break, and there are hundreds of, of Hamas fighters dead along the wall, along the border, who tried to get in or get out at this point. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, report is, uh, the report is uh, a hostage-taking by the uh, Hamas uh, they right. they are apparently they take in what seems to be 120 people, well. including an 85 year old <laughs> woman, children under the age of five, uh, full fa whole families. They also took about 12 Nepalese and uh, 10, uh, I think, 
uh, Thai who were farm workers who were working in the area. Um, and, of course, they're looking to use them as bargaining chips. At the moment, um, Israel is um, attacking from the air at, at Gaza and has drafted 300,000 men into the reserves, which is the largest reserve drafting in Israel's history. Wow. Um, they've never, be, never before drafted 300,000 troops. Um, the fear is that there might be an attack at the same time from the north, from Hezbollah in the north. And so that's, that's the great... Uh, fear, uh, and that's why they've drafted so many, so many soldiers at this point. It takes time, of course. You draft them, you bring them back into the army, even though the army is set up with reserve units. It takes time until they're ready to fight. Obviously, at least a couple of days. Yeah, uh, to get their equipment and all those other sort of things. Now, I understand plans. that Hezbollah has already uh, made attacks on Israel in conjunction with. Well, the- so yesterday there was a sh- there was <clears throat> there were a, a mortar attack uh, on Israel. It was more symbolic than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before we went on the air, there was a rocket attack. Uh, Twelve rockets were fired at northern Israel. Um, it's not clear if Hezbollah fired them or, the, or some Palestinian group in Lebanon did. That'll be known in the next hour or two. But you know, Israel very much doesn't want um, Hezbollah to get involved because who wants to fight a two-front war? And Hezbollah has 120,000 rockets and missiles. Yeah, um, And so that's really a problem. Uh, the United States, the Biden administration, has come strongly out in support of Israel at this point, um, both in terms of supplying it with um, a lot of the weapons that were already in the pipeline and planned to be delivered over the next year are being rushed at this point, particularly bombs and other consumables. And the U.S. is sending uh, the aircraft carrier Gerald Ford and uh, a cruiser strike force to be off Israel's border to sort of be a deterrent to Hezbollah or Iran. Uh, starting up in the middle of this other fighting. So there's so uh, the criticism. Uh, there's criticism of the uh, Biden administration for the six billion dollar settlement. Yeah, that's all bullshit. Excuse, excuse my expression. It's total bullshit. The six billion was already Iranian. It's all sitting in Qatar. They haven't been able to draw it down at all. It was just moved from South Korea to Qatar, and it can only be dispersed with the U.S. approval. It's all just talking points of ridiculousness, let's put it that way. Okay, good I've to never clarify. seen such ridiculousness blaming the Biden administration, which in the end is turning out to be the most effective pro-Israel administration in American history, to be quite honest with you, when it comes to actual actions and not in terms of talk. So we'll see what happens. Again, uh, it's not it's not the American fight, it's the Israeli fight, and it's the Israeli army that's going to have to fight and, and go back, go into Gaza. And, and while I was one of those people amongst almost everybody else who was against previously a ground invasion of Gaza because the costs, uh, both in Israeli troops, but also thousands and thousands of Palestinians that will no doubt die in such a battle, um, there is no choice if what they did was so barbaric, uh, so, such, in such a way that they have to be eliminated from the face of the earth at this point. Absolutely. Um, so and it's clear also that Netanyahu has not declared war against Palestine, but against Gaza, or against, uh, I should say, Hamas. Against, against Hamas. This is, the, this is the first time, actually, the country has declared war since 1973. Right. It has certain legal, in, legal implications. And also, it looks <clears throat> likely, uh, uh, Netanyahu is dragging his feet right now, but it looks likely there'll be some sort of unity government for the period of the war, um, the country is demanding it. Even the right-wing part of the government is, is demanding it because you don't fight a war when you're divided like Netanyahu divided the country in the last six months. And um, I would suspect that there'll be some sort of a, a unity government in place within 24 to 48 hours, but who knows? So, Mark, uh, there's uh, s- some questions about the uh, 
uh, it's a surprise element of this. In other words, is this a, a lapse in uh, Israeli security? Absolutely. There were, there were two lapses here that were uh, catastrophic. Uh, lapse number one was total intelligence failure. Total, total intelligence failure. No one quite, can quite understand how they pulled this off with absolutely not the slightest bit of advance warning. There is some word that sometime in the middle of the night there may have been some some information, but wasn't you know wasn't at all definite. And like I said, it was in the middle of the night, a few hours before it actually began. So that was the, the failure number one. Um, actually, there are three major failures. Failure number two was on the tactical level. Um, the thought was that the fence and the defenses there would be enough to uh, to stop any sort of assault. Uh, Israel spent a billion dollars on the fence, um, but fences can be overcome. And so fences sound like a good idea, but they really don't ultimately work. And the result of that was there just weren't enough troops there because they were relying on the fence. Yeah. And so a lot of troops were in other areas, and it was a weekend. People get in Israel, the Israeli army as opposed to the American army, you get, you get leave almost every weekend or every second or every third weekend to go home. It was, it was so, also a holiday as well, wasn't it? Right, it was a holiday weekend, so you'd have to assume that over the small number of troops that were guarding the border, a third of them were home. Yeah. So that, that made it even even worse. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the conceptual failure. The fact is that um, since, uh, certainly for the last 10 years, the view was, you know, we can, we can live with Hamas. Um, it's a jihad Islamic that we have to fight against, we'll leave the Hamas alone. Uh, also, they're a good balance to the Palestinian Authority. Those people who very much uh, don't want a Palestinian state, that way there'll be a balance. We can say there's no one to talk to. And so, so Hamas was allowed to grow and grow and grow. Ah. And um, that was, of course, a tremendous strategic mistake. Well, these are and such interesting uh, observations and thoughts, Mike. I really appreciate your commentary on this. We've got more to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. 
Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you again for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, any other th- comments or thoughts about uh, the attack in Israel before we move? Yeah, two, two, two things I want to bring up. One, just a little little historic uh, brief so people understand who Hamas is. And uh, when you hear that... that uh, Israel's been blockading Gaza, things of that nature. Israel pulled out of Gaza 12 years ago in totality. And the hope was that the, and they removed the settlements that were in Gaza, and the hope was that the Palestinian Authority would rule it and turn uh, Gaza into Singapore, so to speak. I mean, it has beaches, it could be, it, was, it, it could be something great, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened very soon after that was Hamas overthrew the Palestinian Authority and literally threw Palestinian Authority people from 10-story buildings and killed them. And they took over the, the government, so to speak, of, of Gaza. The quartet, which was made up of the U.S., Great Britain, uh, Soviet, I guess it was Russia at that time, and the EU, uh, came to the Hamas and said, okay, you want to be recognized, you want continuation of international support, you have to accept two basic things. One, a renouncing of terror, and to an acceptance of the previous agreements that the Palestinian Authority um, stated. They said, no, we are in war with, with Israel. We will retake all of Israel, and that was their position. Uh, what does a country do when uh, a, another country or a group says that we're at war with you and we're going to retake all of your country? Well, you sort of blockade it to make sure they don't get too many arms. Mm-hmm. And that's what's been going on. And so, the, yes, they've been blockaded for all these years, all they had to do was accept the quartet's uh, conditions, and the blockade would have gone away. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's very important for people to keep in mind. I think it's also uh, so let, impo- important important to consider the distinction between the Palestinians and Hamas. Hamas is basically, I mean, in my view, from what I've learned, at least, maybe you could clarify, uh, the Palestinians are really victims of Hamas. To some extent, but, you know, it's, it's absolutely <clears throat> true. And, you know, certainly they're not all the Palestinians of Hamas, but I need to put, you know, bring into perspective there are other places, you know, not all of Italians were Mussolini and not all Germans were, were Nazis. As a matter of fact, Nazis were a minority party, but they controlled the country. Right. So, you know, at some point you have to say, you know, right now Israel's cut off electricity, it's going to cut off water. Um, I think, you know, I think it's the right thing to do. I don't think a country, a country that's firing on you and a country that... Um, has just killed 700 of your people, probably 1,000 of your people, 900 of which are women, children, and other civilians, you have to provide them with water and, and electricity. Yeah. 
if the people are going to starve, then stop the fighting, right. release the hostages. You know, I mean, I can't, ima- can't imagine the Allies providing food for German cities during the middle of World War II. Yeah, well, thank you for that clarification, Mark. You had another point, uh, a point you wanted to make about... Uh... Yes, absolutely. So the other point, I just want to just make how torn this country is at this point. Um, torn in the sense of hurt, and the, you know, A, the fact that the Army failed and what they did, but also right now what we're having on our TV screens, there are um, at least maybe a few hundred people, maybe even a little more, who do not know what happened to their loved ones, mm-hmm. whether they were killed or whether they were uh, kidnapped by Hamas. And the government, the Army announced today it'll take 24 to 72 hours to be able to inform everybody who was kidnapped um, that their families have been kidnapped, also to identify all the bodies that have been found, huh. because you really don't know who was kidnapped until you've identified all the bodies. Right. So, but it's it's ter- you know it's cutting people. You know, we're seeing person after person getting on TV and saying, "Please tell me where my child is. Tell me where my sister is," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Heartbreaking. You know, that's really difficult to put it, to put it bluntly. Yeah. And of course, the fact that you know the pictures of children. They took a six-year-old child. They put him, and he happens to look just like my grand, grandson, so it's really particularly problematic. They put him um, in a circle of Palestinian kids, and they told all these kids, taunt him and hit him. And they showed the pictures of that. Um, I mean, who does things like this? I know. I'm not, talking about the, I'm not talking about the women they raped and the women that they paid, they've paraded around naked. Right. We won't get into that. So. Yeah, well, thank you for that report, Mark. It's... Uh... Hopefully this will have to come to some sort of a good end, but it is just such a difficult time for Israelis, and I think for the rest of the world too. Absolutely, to have people, you know, they they, they put ISIS in the in their back pocket. To be honest with you, in terms of cruelty and the number of people they just killed. Yeah. So, so let's let's move to Poland. What's happening in Poland? Well, Poland is about to go into about to have an election. Uh, the ruling party controls all of the media. And they control part of the election uh, apparatus. On the other hand, there were uh, probably two million people in the streets this past weekend protesting against the ruling party. They are not, and certainly in the cities, they are not at all popular. Their support is mostly rural and conservative, conservative small c. Um, And it's not clear uh, what's going to happen. They've created a lot of fake news, uh, scaring things about refugees about to come. Poland has almost none. Um, all sorts of things of that nature. Since they control the media, with the exception of one TV channel that's independent, um, they do a very good job of manipulating uh, public opinion to some extent. Despite that, public opinion shows shows that the opposition will win this election. But will they actually be allowed to win the election? We don't know. Interesting. So that's really the story in Poland. The election, I believe, is next week. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, any, any comments at all about uh, Poland and its relationship with Russia and Ukraine? Yes, yeah, so it gets really complicated there because, again, this it falls into... Um, Poland is very anti-Russian, obviously. They were occupied by the Russians. Um, no, no party in Russia is pro... Excuse me, no, no party in Poland is, is pro-Russian. Mm. Not the opposition, not the government. No one is pro-Russian. In terms of Ukraine... Uh, there was always some rivalry between Ukraine and Poland over borders, for instance. The border between Poland and Ukraine moved many times in history. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always a, an issue in any place. But on top of that, there's this problem with the Ukrainian grain and getting the Ukrainian grain to market and the fears of the Polish 
Polish um, farmers that it will compete with their grain and therefore bring down the prices. So the so the Polish government doesn't want to allow any uh, Ukrainian grain to transit Poland in the fear that it'll end up in Poland. Mm. So it's created a level of tension between the two countries, but ultimately their interests are pretty much the same. They both hate the Russians and. Uh, and generally speaking, the Poles have been very strong supporters of Ukraine until now. So The enemy by enemy is my friend. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Mark Schoen, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Hope you check it out. Terrific website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a good week, Bob. You as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, John Millimore. He is the editor-at-large for fee.org. It's the website for the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. And a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us John Millimore. He is the editor-at-large for fee.org, F-E-E.org, the website for the Foundation for Economic Education. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Bob. It's great to be with you. Thank you, John. Tell us about fee.org. 
Yes, he was an organization founded in 1946. Our main focus is just teaching the, the next young uh, generation the principles of individualism and, and liberty and just bringing basic economics to the classroom. So we're doing that in a number of ways. Uh, great organization, and uh, well, I've been to national conferences for the. It's great to see young people celebrating uh, liberty and freedom and responsibility. It's a wonderful thing. It sure is. So, John, hey, you you wrote a column. Why EVs, electric vehicles, are piling up at dealerships despite massive taxpayer subsidies? Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, like I was just a little surprised. That, you know, they were really flying off the lot uh, electric vehicles. You know, last year, this year we've seen a, a massive pullback. Um, there's about 100,000 EVs at uh, dealerships across the country. Um, there's a lot of things. I don't want to say it's one thing, you know, that, that is the cause of this. You know, there's the tightening money supply from the, the money meddling. Um, there's uh, some new competition out there. Um, you know, other EV makers are, are bringing out cars, and it's kind of you're, you're seeing price, incre- or price decreases, you know, because of this. Um, but I really think they just overestimated the, the demand for EVs. And if you look, a lot of these vehicles, you know, people still don't know, the, they don't have the range to get around. Um, if you look at some of the more popular ones, it's about half of the gas-powered vehicle. Um, so I, I think if you look, the numbers are, you know, down. We've seen about a 350% drop um, wow. in, in, in sales. Um, so, so yeah, I think they just really missed the demand of this, despite the fact that we're propping these vehicles up with, with, with subsidies. Yeah. And what's kind of interesting is that if I owned one, I'd sure I'd be very anxious about, even when I, when I got down about half to the, of the power on the battery, I'd start worrying about where am I going to find a place to, to get some more power, get some uh, energy. It's true. Like we just don't have the infrastructure right now, and, and people keep you know saying, "Well, that that'll come, that'll come," but that that is complex. Um, and it's different in certain places. I, you know, it looks like you, you're you down in Naples, Florida. Uh, probably not as big of a problem up there, but up here, cold weather plays a, a big factor too. Um, you know, I have no no people that have Teslas up here, but you know, like they're they're putting those things away. Once it gets to be about November or December, they simply don't have the range. Um, if you have to pull anything, you know, EVs just really, you know, it, it, it's much harder. That, techno- that, that technology will, you know, improve over time. I think over time we'll, we'll see EVs, you know, they will become more popular. But the other side of the story is these uh, these vehicles are not as, as green as people think. Yeah. Um, if you look at, you know, the, the electric vehicles actually, you know, require a lot more carbon inputs to produce. And that means, um, you know, some of these vehicles, you have to drive them 70,000, 80,000 miles before they even become carbon neutral, which, which basically means if, if you're somebody that doesn't drive very much or, you know, you, you, you're, you drive your EV and you get it, you know, it crashes 30,000 miles in, your, your vehicle actually was, you know, required more carbon uh, than a regular, you know, gas-powered vehicle which means it, it, you know, all, all these concerns about the environment, um, you know, electric vehicles are not the panacea. I think people want them to believe, to believe they are. Plus all these uh, uh, parts for electric vehicles are mined in uh, places like China and other places. In other words, uh, they're, I mean, we're offshoring, again, the automobile business. Yeah, and, and th- this was something, when you look at the physics of this, it's pretty incredible. Um, uh, uh, an electric vehicle, you have to do about 500,000 pounds of mining of rock and minerals to produce one battery. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. We, you know, the, the, the lithium is, you know, we get lithium from South America. Um, we're, we're getting, you know, the cobalt from, 
from Africa. We're getting all these, you know, around the world, we're, we're getting these resources. But the irony is we don't want to mine those resources here because we say, oh, it's too hard for the environment. So we're, we're relying on, on all these other countries for this. And, and, you know, like I think it benefits these countries, but, but you know, it, it, we're, we're – we're putting this this massive environmental burden on them. So, you know, I think the important thing to just remember, remember is there is a trade-off here. Um, you know, these these electric vehicles do require a great deal of mining, and that is very hard on the environment as well. So, if I understand correctly, we're going to invest $7,500 in taxpayer money into each EV that's purchased in order, after 70,000 miles, to break even? Exactly. Yeah, and it, it varies a little bit from from de, uh, vehicle to vehicle, um, you know. But if you look, Volvo had a, a popular vehicle they rolled out here. It's it's C forty recharge, and and that was them admitting this. They said, "Look, you know, we, we love this vehicle, but just so you know, um, you have to drive that vehicle seventy thousand miles before before it's it's car, you know carbon neutral. Meaning their gas vehicle, um, you know, was more environmentally friendly for the first seventy thousand miles. Yeah. Uh, now again, if you, if you if you end up driving that car for a hundred and forty thousand, there's some savings there as far as the you know overall carbon input. Um, but it's pretty small. You know, on average, we're we're talking maybe you know I, I think the figures are probably seven to ten percent. Uh, based on the studies you're looking at, but again, that's if global warming's your your the, you know greatest concern, the, you know driving an EV is hardly making a difference. Well, not only that, but of course uh, the premise of the whole thing I think is ridiculous. Carbon dioxide is plant food. The more carbon dioxide we have, the more oxygen is developed through the uh, photosynthesis. So I think if we wanted to do something f uh, friendly for the environment, stop all this nonsense and plant about a billion trees. No, it, it's really true, and, and you know, like, there's a, there, you got to look at the whole. It, 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 let's say you are a very, you know, very concerned about the environment. You got to look at the whole picture. If you focus on one thing, just like CO two, um, that's a that's a big problem because there's a lot of things that affect the, the environment uh, and do a lot more damage than simply, as you're saying, like like releasing CO two into the atmosphere. Yeah, I believe it. Before I let you go, you also wrote a column about pumping your own gas. Oh, we used to live in Oregon. And uh, we couldn't pump our own gas there. They had somebody do it for us. And I think it was for for reasons of uh, employment. They wanted to make sure they could employ more people, so they had people pumping gas. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it, it was interesting because I, I, you know most of us haven't lived in Oregon or the other state where this is done, or this, in New Jersey. And to me, it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, that you know you have places that you're not allowed to go and pump your own gas, and if you look at the history of this, um, you know it, it was this wasn't out of any. They sold this to the public as like some concern of safety, like uh, you know, um, you know, if we let people pump their own gas, they could burn the place down or hurt themselves. <laughs> um, but if you go back and look, this is the old you know bootleggers and Baptist story. What you had were um, you know people that. Uh, the owners at the time, there was some creative destruction going on where you had this guy said, you know what, all these gas stations are, are you know, they have people working. I'm going to make one and let people pump their own gas. And yeah. this was an entrepreneur in, in New Jersey. And, and he did this and was shaking things up and making a lot of money and, and customers loved it. So you had a bunch of the, you know, you had a lobby over there that organized and said, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to say you, you, you have to have people pump your own gas because he had built all these self-serve stations and they, they put the guy out of business. Yeah. Um, so, so that this was really just old fashioned, 
um, hardball politics. It had nothing to do with protecting people. Unbelievable. John Middlemore, again, editor-at-large for a terrific website. I hope you check out fee.org, F-E-E.org. John, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Bob. It's a pleasure being with you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of many murder mysteries. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. If you're looking for a great place to dine that's inexpensive, great value, and casual, don't need a reservation, go to Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They're serving dinner Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. Uh, you know, you'll really enjoy it. And uh, was there the other night? I walked out of there with a bit of less than $40 for the two of us. So, again, Lulabee's Diner in the uh, Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of many books. Uh, his murder mysteries are Follow the Leader. His sequel is Shake the Money Tree, and it's his latest is No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's great, Bob. I was sitting here thinking how I could break into uh, stand-up comedy, and I, I have a great punchline, Bidenomics. I just have to come up with the, the jokes leading to that answer. Uh, um you know, Bidenomics has uh, turned uh, car buying into, uh, you know, the worst experience on the face of the earth, or one of the worst. I mean, root canal is still yeah, but worse. You, but Jim, I, I must say, I think with Bidenomics, you've come up not only with the punchline, but also the joke. 
Yeah, that, that's true. I could come out on stage and just say Bidenomics, <laughs> and, and the audience would roar with laughter. Yeah. Uh, um, now, this brings me, you know, I live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania now. I retired here from inside the Beltway, and I view Lancaster County as a proxy for the nation as a whole. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I had predicted strong hiring because hiring in Lancaster County is through, through the roof. Hmm. Um, I have commented uh, time and time again on how seniors were powering the economy. There's an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal today talking about how senior citizen spending pretty much uh, helped propel the economy because you know consumers consumers are the the basis for for economic growth mm -hmm. um what i see now i go i go to my uh, local costco store i love costco uh the one up here actually has a horse barn for the amish you know so you get a it's a it's a fun place to go wow. because you see and what i've been seeing on consecutive visits is people are not bulk buying anymore uh, they have, I've never seen this in Costco. They have like four or five items and, and that's all they're buying. They're, they're really pinching pennies. It tells me two things. Since they're not bulking up, they don't think inflation is a problem going forward. Mm. But since they're only buying four or five items, they can't afford stuff in the store now because prices are so high. Right. And if I am right, and Lancaster is a proxy for the country, it means that the wind has spilled from the consumer sales. Because when you go to Costco, you're getting a, a wealthy and, a, and a largely middle-class, upper-middle-class to wealthy people. They're pinching pennies. I, I interviewed some seniors there. Uh, how's the economy? It, it, the, the, they just yell at you. It's awful. I yeah. can't stand it. So, so I am expecting that we're going to have um, massive layoffs because uh, interest rates are rising. That's a cost to business, and employees are a huge cost to business. So revenues are going to be down, and the first thing a business guy is going to do, since he can't control the interest rates is he's going to start laying off these people he's just hired. Yeah, well, just to, just to reinforce your point, I mean, uh, the fact of the matter is that savings in the United States uh, per capita is way down, and people are drawing off of their savings. Credit card uh, borrowing is way up. It's past a trillion dollars. So this indicates to me that people are getting by by, uh, you know, using up their savings, using their credit cards. Well, you know what? That ship has sailed now. It's, that's not going to be possible soon, and uh, people are going to have to just uh, start cutting back. Yeah, and even if if you're wealthy and you look at your uh, portfolio, it, you're going to see an erosion in, in the uh, the book value of your portfolio. So, so you're going to, you know, you're going to be more conservative in your spending. Uh, going forward. Well, just think and, about and this, that, Jim. I mean, if, if in fact uh, your portfolio is worth the same as it was when uh, President Biden took office, its buying power has been reduced by 17%. So, I mean, mm -hmm. just having the same number of dollars is not helpful. Uh, true. And then taxes are higher now because a lot of the, you know, some of the tax cuts 
have expired. So, you know, the bottom line is consumers at all income levels are being squeezed. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we're uh, probably reached the peak. I think the Fed has raised interest rates, but on the backside, it's been tapering. It's been running off uh, the $8 trillion in bonds it purchased uh, during the um, COVID uh, ep- epidemic, you know, to become right. the buyer of last resort and keep mortgages and treasury prices low. And, and you've seen how treasury and mortgages have spiked in the last two uh, weeks. You're, you're talking about the fruits of modern economic theory? Uh, yes, the Fed, <laughs> distorted, the Fed distorted the bond market. And undistorting it is really difficult for them, and it's, it's going to cause... Uh, it's it's going to cause economic chaos. Yeah. So I don't think the Fed has really grasped this because when you see the debate among governors as to whether there's another interest rate hike needed or not, uh, you can tell that they didn't anticipate that the tapering of their um, their portfolio would cause a spike in rates. Well, and what's scary... You think about this, Jim, the, the, the Fed is between a rock and a hard spot because they, if they do increase interest rates, they're pra- placing uh, banks, again, in more jeopardy by, uh, because it's just going to reduce their profitability and the ability to stay in business. If they don't increase interest rates, it's, uh, infl- inflation is going to continue out of control. Yeah. Well, the other thing is there's the fiscal side. Congress should be helping to bring down inflation by making meaningful cuts to spending, you know, making cuts that are yeah. not going to hurt us, uh, our security, um, and do too much damage to the public at large. But Congress won't make those meaningful cuts. Right. So at some point, and I hate to say this, Congress will probably raise taxes to try to cover the deficits because Congress can't stop spending. And, and tax cuts are effective in bringing that down inflation, but at the same time, they destroy economic growth, and it takes it takes like ten years to get rid of tax increases. Well, not, <laughs> so, not only that, Jim, but uh, if you follow the Laffer curve, uh, it also brings in less revenue to the government when you increase taxes. Uh, yes, but I but I, but I can see the handwriting on the wall that this is going to happen because Congress does not have the discipline to really make uh, meaningful cuts or reforms in entitlement programs. So uh, I'm very pessimistic. Yeah. Jim McTague, on that note, a pessimistic note, but realistic note, I must say, I really appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show. Again, Jim's last book is No Problem. Check it out. It's a great murder mystery. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the the show. One last word, Uh, Bidenomics. That's the joke and the punchline. Thank you so much, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Tomorrow we've got great guests as well. So I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast. And uh, if you enjoy the show, I hope you tell the friends. I really appreciate you listening. And uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com. <laughs>